from 12 News, this is Newsmakers. The race to replace Congressman Jim Langevin is the hottest ticket in town, with 11 people announcing or exploring a run, including eight Democrats. This week on Newsmakers, one of the first Democrats to throw their hat into the ring, former state rep Ed Pacheco. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. Ed Pacheco, candidate for Congress. Welcome to the program. It's good well, to see you. Good to see you both and good morning and just thrilled to be here with you. Why do you want to be a congressman? Tim, you know, this one's, uh, this one's personal for me. Uh, I've lived in the 2nd District my entire life. Uh, spent the first uh, 30 years in, in Barville, my hometown. My wife and I uh, now live in the city of Warwick, where we've been for almost 10 years. Uh, you know, I had the good fortune of representing my hometown in the legislature, as you know, for a number of years, and, and went on to, as a state Democratic chairperson, elect Democrats all throughout Rhode Island. But this, as I mentioned, is personal. You know, I was raised by a single mom. You know, I know firsthand the struggles that Rhode Islanders are facing because, you know, during our darkest times, we had to rely on Section 8 and food stamps and our community to rally around us during our most difficult times in order to get, pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. But let me be crystal clear. Not everyone is so fortunate to have those bootstraps. I, I'm running for United States Congress because I want to make a difference. It's not a cliche for me. We need a fighter in Washington right now who's going to be willing to roll up their sleeves on day one to fight on behalf of working families all throughout the 2nd Congressional District, all throughout the country, and all throughout the state of Rhode Island. And I know on day one, as someone who's been an effective state legislator for a number of years here in Rhode Island, what it's going to take to work across the aisle with all legislators in Washington to achieve results, practical, common sense results on behalf of the American people and more uh, more specifically on behalf of the 2nd Congressional District. I have a quick technical question. You say you've lived in the 2nd Congressional District all your life. 2010, a section of Boroughville went from the 1st Congressional to 2nd. So did you live in this, the part of Boroughville that was in well, the... Well, I lived in Boroughville, yeah. So when they changed the lines, you know, certainly I lived in Boroughville, you know, during that But then that time. didn't that mean you were in the 1st Congressional <laughs> District? Uh, yeah, well, that, you know, certainly, uh, I guess this technical question or answer is yes, but I've <laughs> lived in what is now the 2nd Congressional <laughs> District my entire life. All right. But, you know, listen, the issues that we're talking about, I, I think that are, you know, important to, you know, folks that are sitting at their kitchen table right now talking about the issues. Uh, they're, they're worried about whether or not they're going to have a job next week. They're worried about whether or not their kids are going to be able to go to school on Monday, uh, you know, as a result of COVID and other complexities that, that families are facing. They're worried about being able to identify ways to provide care for their children so they can take the time to make sure they can go to work to earn a paycheck, to put a roof over the head and, 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 and food on the table. You know, I, I lived in Boroughville, which is a blue-collar community. Folks that work day in and day out to raise their families, generation after generation. That's the second congressional district. That's people all throughout the western part of the state. And they're looking for someone right here, right now, that's going to be willing to fight alongside them. Because I've lived their experiences, and I am living their experiences. And I, it's not just talking points for me. It's not, it's not just empathy. It's the fact that I want to make a difference on behalf of their families and my family as well. We're going to ask you some more about the issues in a little bit. I do want to ask you a couple political questions sure. uh, to get those uh, roundtable. You were one of the first candidates to launch a campaign for the second district race. We're now up to eight 
Democrats who've either launched a campaign or filed at least. Uh, I'm just wondering, are you surprised, you know politics pretty well, how crowded this field has gotten? No, uh, because, you know, uh, you know, as we all know, this is a pivotal moment in our country's history. Uh, and I think one thing to be celebrated is anyone who's willing to step up to the plate to run for office today and serve in public service is to be commended. Uh, and I believe that now more than ever, people recognize the importance of not being on the sidelines during a time in which we need people to step up to the plate in a number of different ways running for office, getting out and advocating for the issues that are important to them, you know, most importantly, voting in the primary, certainly in, in November. Uh, you know, these, this moment right here, right now, we face uh, a, a moment in which a number of decisions are going to be made in Washington. They're not just going to impact us in the immediate, but for years to come. And we need all people to get engaged in this election process in all different facets. Other question I had here on the campaign. Uh, Money does matter. People don't like to hear that, but it does. Seth Magaziner's campaign uh, for this seat has said he's already raised over half a million dollars. How much money have you raised so far? Yeah, look, uh, I'm proud of the fact, uh, the response uh, that I've seen from voters and, and friends and family who have contributed to my campaign. And what I can say is we're uh, on track to raise what's going to be necessary to be competitive in this race. Uh, certainly, we'll, we'll file the reports at the end. But how of, much money have you raised so far? Uh, we, you know, we're still counting the numbers, and uh, we're getting donations in Five every figures, single day. Um, I'm happy to say that between donations and commitments, we're up over six figures in this race. And we'll certainly have a final report uh, you know, come March 31st that you'll see, I believe, on April 15th uh, when that news breaks uh, you know, with respect to those reports. Look, but this race, I never expected to be the most well-financed candidate. I'm not independently wealthy. Uh, I don't have the ability to write a check to my own personal campaign. Uh, and voters are not looking for s someone who can raise the most amount of money. They're not looking for someone who's independently wealthy. They're looking for someone who they can identify with and understands the struggles and challenges that they face each and every day. I have friends and family and neighbors that I have lifelong relationships all throughout the 2nd District. That to me is worth more than any donation that could be contributed to my campaign. And, and at the end of the day, Every single candidate who's in this race has to earn that vote in, no, in both September and November. And I'm going to work from now until September to not only earn voters' trust, but to earn their vote on Election Day. We have to touch on uh, Ukraine uh, briefly here, being where we are right now. In the second half of the show, actually, uh, Ted is talking to uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse in a pre-taped interview about the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine. Uh, and Senator Whitehouse said, obviously, while well, he supports the Biden administration's moves thus far, he does wish uh, the president had moved faster with a first round of sanctions. What do you think? Yeah, well, first, I, I think it's important to say uh, that my prayers and thoughts are with the people of Ukraine. Um, you know, the horrific uh, images that we're seeing on the, in the media right now, and, and certainly the news coming out of that part of the world, uh, it is a travesty. And, and as, as the president has said, uh, as a result of an unjust uh, and, and unnecessary war uh, that's been waged by uh, Vladimir Putin and Russia. Did he move fast enough? Uh, I believe the president has taken the necessary steps to, to mobilize allies throughout the world. And I support his efforts, uh, both economically and, di and diplomacy, to make sure that we are holding Russia accountable for their actions, along with all of our NATO allies and, and allies throughout the, uh, throughout the world. I want to ask you a different foreign policy question. Um, with all the focus on Ukraine, the tension has shifted away from Afghanistan, but that was the dominant story over the summer. Congressman Langevin has described the Biden administration's withdrawal and its consequences as, quote, a catastrophe. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, look, I, I think there are certainly mistakes that have been made. Uh, you know, uh, the world is watching. You know, uh, United States uh, represents uh, the free world and democracy, and we need to do everything we can 
to fight on behalf of democracy throughout the world uh, and working with allied nations, uh, members of NATO, uh, to make sure that we do not forfeit any ground with respect to, to the ability for nations, peaceful nations, sovereign nations, uh, to move forward with efforts to be their, their own independent democracies. So should he have left, uh, a, a, would you have left a small contingent of American troops in Afghanistan? I, I think, I, you know, I don't have all the intel that certainly members of Congress have, but I will say this, mistakes were made and we could have done a better job. Um, Ed, you have said education is your top priority. Uh, we should point out you were elected to the Boroughville School Committee at the age of 19, right? Yeah, three weeks after graduating from high school. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, look, very uh, proud of that, by the way. What can you do from Congress that would impact education in Rhode Island, which is largely yeah. viewed as a state-level issue? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked that. So, twofold. One is education today is no longer about K through 12. Education has to be a conversation about pre-K all the way through 14, uh, I would argue. And the reason I say is because, as you both know, I've spent the last seven and a half years in higher education. Before that, I worked in the nonprofit sector uh, promoting education, experiential learning opportunities uh, for kids all throughout the state. And, and prior to that, uh, I served on the Boroughville School Committee. Um, you know, as a congressperson, I can work with state leaders and, and communities and districts throughout the second district to promote the efforts that they hope to attain with respect to working with the U.S. Department of Education and certainly you know, opportunities for federal grants and other forms of, of, of federal funding. But I think more importantly, we need to make sure that we're supporting policies. For example, right here in Rhode Island, we are leading the nation and have a conversation about universal pre-K. And you know, kudos to our state leaders and the state legislature to moving that conversation forward because I believe as a country that is a fundamental investment that we need to make in, in, in families all throughout the United States. I also believe that we need to make sure that we invest in students' secondary education across the board. You know, when it comes to federal funding, we need to make sure that we are not just looking at, at uh, you know, just, you know, everyday, you know, you know, issues. We're looking at specific issues that we can target. You know, when I was growing up in Barville, I had access to a good public education. Unfortunately, depending on the zip code you hail from, that isn't always the case. As a, as a congressperson, I'm not only going to advocate for those communities, but fight for opportunities and resources Are to invest in those communities. Are your kids in public school right now? Yes. Um, Ed, i got to ask you as a parent before we get back to Ted, mask mandates, they're getting lifted. We're yeah. talking on Friday. Uh, they're getting lifted on Monday when a lot of kids are coming yeah. back. Do you agree with the governor's call? So I think, um, I, I think it's the right call. I would have uh, liked to see a little more time between uh, now and the end of March uh, to coincide with the data. Uh, but the good news is both the CDC, as I understand, is going to announce either today or, or, or Monday, as you just mentioned, uh, that they are going to change their, uh, their uh, efforts with respect to uh, mass mandates. Uh, and additionally, the data here in Rhode Island is good, right? So. Uh, I think at the end of the day, we have the tools necessary to keep our educators and more importantly, our kids safe. Uh, and we should do everything we can to keep them in school because, uh, you know, as you know, as a parent mm -hmm. and Ted, you, you know, will be there someday as well, uh, pretty soon. Uh, you know, we need to make sure that our kids have access to the best possible education available to them. Uh, they are our number one resource. You know, when we talk about things like economic development and, and a better future, the way towards that better future is investing in our children. You know, uh, the cost of living is increasingly a huge issue for a lot of families and a, a major topic of conversation. In retrospect, do you think um, the American Rescue Plan Act was too big, too much money pushed into the economy when it was already operating pretty hot? 
Uh, no, I think we do do more to help uh, American families. Look, I, I, you know, one of the things I was most disappointed in is the Build Back Better plan it didn't make its way through Congress. Uh, and the reason I say it is because, you know, one of the things I, I talked about uh, early on in my campaign is to continue the child, ta uh, child tax credit. Uh, you know, just in the last 30 days, I'm sure you both saw the news, close to you know, uh, 4 million children fell back into poverty as a result of, of that uh, support not being made available to families. Look, there, you know, I was raised by a single mom. I saw the pain in my mother's eyes every time she had to figure out how to ma make sure there was childcare for my, both my brother and I and managed to go to work as a bus driver each and every day. It wasn't easy. And, and anything we can do to support American families to, to alleviate them of that pressure so they can, in fact, go to work, to be able to afford to put a roof over their family's head, to be able to afford to put food on the table, we need to consider all those so options. you have no concerns that Congress um, went too far in terms of the amount of stimulus that was put into the economy? No, I, I, think any, I think the more investments we can make in American people uh, is, is better investments in our economy and is going to be better for the future of this country. All right, Ed, we, uh, we have a couple minutes left, um, and you're going to get a debate preview here. We like to do rapid fire, as you I've know. I've done this before. And, uh, yeah, well, you're going to do it again. Yeah, uh, thank so you. we're looking for one or two word answers sure. here. It's sort of a litmus test. Are you pro-choice, pro-life? Pro-choice. Legalize marijuana, recreational mar uh, marijuana on the federal level, yes or no? Yes. Um, federal ban on what have been labeled assault-style rifles like the AR-15. Would you support or oppose Support. Uh, would you vote for Nancy Pelosi as House Speaker again? Yes, I'll support uh, Democratic leadership uh, if uh, elected to Congress. All right, and this last one I'll let you expand on a bit. Uh, some Democrats want to, to raise income tax, uh, the income tax on the wealthiest Americans. Do you support that? And if so, what would be the threshold? I, I believe what you're referencing is the American Families Plan that President Biden had, had uh, proposed earlier this year. And, and so the short answer is yes, I would support the president's original plan as it was laid out. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the income threshold was either four hundred or five hundred thousand dollars, and that over the period of a decade would raise around one to one point five trillion dollars. Um, look, you know, uh, right now, uh, families all throughout the second district, our state, and our country uh, feel as though the odds are stacked against them. That it's a rigged system. That you know, the divide between the haves and have-nots have never been more greater in this country. We need to make sure that those have the ability to pay their fair share, help support the future of this country, What's and, the and threshold help people. On that? Four to five hundred. Uh, I believe it's either four or five hundred thousand dollars based on the original proposal. All right, and I'll just ask you, what what letter grade would you give to Jim Langevin for his tenure? Oh, I would give uh, Congressman Langevin an A. I mean, twenty uh, will be twenty-two years of yeah. service. Um, you know, I had the good fortune, uh, you know, early on in my career as an intern to, to meet the congressman. Um, he, he is, uh, you know, uh, representative of all things uh, public service should be and can be. You've been a lawmaker before because yeah. you served in the state uh, house. Uh, you mentioned a campaign email this week. You sponsored over 25 bills as a state rep. What do you consider your number one legislative accomplishment from when you were a state rep? Oh, so the first thing that pops in my mind is twofold. One, the, the reason I ran for representative in the first place be, was because as a member of the school board, I saw Barville losing out on state education uh, aid uh, year after year due to uh, legislation that had been passed by prior uh, Republican administration in the form of a, a pilot tax treaty uh, penalization for the, for the communities. Uh, as a result, I ran, and, and by the way, as a result of that, we were losing close to half a million dollars a year, and, and at that point was over $3 million in loss in education aid to the town of Barville. I ran on that issue because our, our kids deserve those investments 
and making sure that we put every dollar we can into the classroom to support their, their education. Uh, as soon as I was elected within two years, we were able to overturn that legislation and it was proud to, to make sure that not only I introduced that bill, but saw it uh, passed into law. Uh, the other the other bill that I'm particularly proud of is when we talk about uh, uh, you know civic engagement and, and protecting our democracy, I believe we need to do everything humanly possible to get people involved in the process. I sponsored legislation uh, for pre-registration of 16 and 17 year olds uh, here in Rhode Island, uh, which coupled with the motor voter law would allow for 16, 17 year olds when they go to get their permit, they would be registered to vote. So when they turn 18, they could uh, walk right into the polling place and, and participate in their democracy. Uh, I was proud of both those accomplishments. Number one, on behalf of my district. Number two, uh, you know, civic engagement is top priority, top of mind for me uh, throughout this entire campaign and, and has always been a part of my work. Ed Pacheco, candidate for Congress, thanks so much for joining us. Thank on you program. both. Thank you both. When we come back, Ted Nisi's interview with U.S. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. Uh, earlier this week on Wednesday, correct? Yes. Uh, Ted interviewed via Zoom U.S. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. He had just come back from Europe? He had. He was an hour off the plane, actually. We got, uh, I got him on Zoom because he just returned from the Munich Security Conference, which is a high-level annual uh, meeting of Western leaders. And, of course, Ukraine was the topic. And that's the topic of the interview. We should note that this interview was taped just hours before Russia actually invaded Ukraine. Here now is Ted's interview with Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. It is hard to see. I mean, it's clear that the U.S. isn't going to send troops in. I know there's a lot of there's some sanctions have already been put in. Other sanctions are being discussed. But how much realistically can the U.S. and the West do that we would actually do that Putin would feel and notice? I think a lot. I mean, we are in many respects a global economic community. And to fully isolate Russia, its banks, its companies, its fuel, its airline, um, its oligarchs in particular, uh, will put an awful lot of pressure on Putin. If you'll remember when uh, uh, Yanisovich, what was his name? I think Yanisovich, the Ukrainian president who had to flee, he had to flee because the Ukrainian oligarchs turned on him. And I don't think Putin cares very much for the Russian people, but I think if the oligarchs all turned on him, he would have a real problem. So to me, his point of vulnerability is to go after the oligarchs and seize their yachts, seize their fancy London townhouses, seize their Miami apartments, grab everything you can get your hands on and then make them come and try to get it back. So, um, you know, you were in Munich at the Munich Security Conference. For viewers that don't know, it's a, it's a big annual gathering that's existed since, I think, the 1960s, um, sort of bring together Western uh, allied nations to talk about security in Europe. I'm just wondering, what was the mood like among uh, both the American delegation you were with and the European folks you talked to? Anxious in the sense that there was a very real prospect of a shooting war on European soil beginning soon. And the American military was giving very stern warnings about how serious and immediate this all could be. So that was one side. The other side was that we really saw pretty astonishing unity and strength among all the different participating nations in the Atlantic Alliance. Putin went into this hoping he could break NATO. 
hoping he could crack Zelensky and collapse the Ukrainian government, and hoping that he'd be able to extort um, demands from uh, all of us. And he's 0 for 3 on those things. So the alliance has held very well. It doesn't make the problem go away, but um, it's a sign of you know all the work and all the years of the Munich Security Conference to shore up this alliance, and it passed its first test. And um, when you talk to your fellow lawmakers, what do you think is the most important thing Congress can do right now? Um, I know there was talk of a sanctions bill that didn't work out earlier in the month. What would you like to see happen um, from a congressional standpoint? I think we can uh, expand the government's sanctions authority. We're discussing the prospect of a funding a task force to really aggressively go after the oligarchs and find and seize their assets, um, putting immense pressure on Putin. Uh, in addition, there are gonna be refugee issues as people get dislocated by all of this. And Ukraine is gonna have needs. It's gonna have economic needs and it's gonna have potentially uh, needs for materiel and other kinds of support. So um, we'll be working really uh, through until next week or the discussions are already underway as to what that package should look like. You know, there are going to be undoubtedly Americans who see all this. They're, they think Ukraine is a faraway country. Uh, you know, they've seen America involved in, you know, whether it's Afghanistan or Iraq, there's some exhaustion you see in polling around foreign entanglements. What do you say to the average Rhode Island constituent who's listening to you um, concerned about this and say, why is this, why is this something the U.S. has to be so involved in this fight in Europe? We are um, a double power in the world. We are a power as an example of democracy, and we are a power economically. Um, if we allow Putin to invade and occupy Ukraine and violate the conventions of nationhood and sovereignty this way, then you can bet the Chinese will be looking, and that could affect what they do about Taiwan. And now you have a situation in which these two enormous rivals have very much weakened the foundations of democracy that we all depend on. And when they do that, they also weaken the foundations of our economy because so much of the American economy is tied internationally. So um, both our economy as Rhode Islanders and our, you know, kind of role in the world as Americans is in play right now. How are you feeling about the Biden administration's response so far? Are you satisfied? Have they moved quickly enough? Do you think it's working? Yeah, I actually would have liked them to do an early round of sanctions just for Putin putting his knife to the throat of Ukraine. Um, to put a knife to someone's throat is a bad act, irrespective of whether you actually drive the knife home or not. Um, but they had a lot going on, and I can't fault their judgment on that. I think by not dropping, you know, the mother of all sanctions packages on Putin right now, they are allowing him an opportunity to uh, back off. Um, I think the best judge of how well we're doing is probably the government of Ukraine. And when the Ukrainian foreign minister says, yep, this is about the right uh, package at this point, and we'll dial it up if we need to, and we'll dial it back if we can. Um, that's, to me, a pretty good sign that they're in the right place. 
I think you can take the Republican critique with a grain of salt because a lot of it is just trying to create a narrative of Biden weakness for the elections that has nothing to do with Ukraine. Well, one other concern that we've heard bubbling up is, you know, if if that kind of mother of all sanctions comes and even, you know, the in-between level sanctions that we're seeing already, that Russians, we know, you know, we've seen uh, how they interfered in the election previously and that they could do use other forms of cyber warfare and things like that to try to strike a blow back at the United States. Uh, you've looked into those issues over the years. How concerned are yeah. you about Russia's ability to strike back, um, particularly on the cyber attacks? Well, I think they'll try. Um... But we have our own cyber capabilities, so they'll be at real risk if they um, get too full of, of uh, mischief. Um, I think that um, they are um, going to be taking some gambles because Putin is not risk averse, I think. But at the end of the day, um, they're the ones who have a lot to lose here. And I think if we keep the pressure on, uh, it will be effective. That's Ted's interview with U.S. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Ted, we have a little less than two minutes left. I want to pivot back to our first half guest, Ed Pacheco, in the second congressional race to replace Jim Langevin. I feel like every day you're filing a new story on someone running, particularly a Democrat, uh, to replace Langevin, including two this week. Yeah, this week we got where I was looking at my list here. We're up to eight Democrats, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, this week's former state rep, Ed uh, David Siegel, who uh, is a progressive activist and, and uh, served in the legislature about a decade ago. He actually ran for David Cicilline's seat. He formed an exploratory Remember. committee, hasn't officially committed. And Sarah Morgenthau, who was a U.S. Department of Commerce official, uh, hasn't lived full-time in Rhode Island much in her life, but her family's had a summer home here. She got in, too. So that's eight Democrats who are in or have filed, plus the three Republicans. Very crowded. So with eight Democrats for the primary, you could conceivably win with what, less than 20% of the vote? Yeah, and it's uh, you know, and it's not a crazy thought, Tim, because we saw in that Massachusetts fourth district race to replace Joe Kennedy, mm. uh, that uh, Jake Auchincloss won that with, I believe, about 23% of the vote. He won the primary, then he was the Democrat, he won the seat, and he's the congressman now. So, you know, you could see someone winning with, with a pretty small percentage if a lot of people stay in, that's the other question. It is only February. Yeah, well, maybe some more talk on ranked choice voting. Could bring that up, yep. All right, so if you missed our first half guest, again, he was candidate for Congress. Uh, he is candidate for Congress, Ed Pacheco. You can watch that on WPRI.com. For Ted Nisi, I'm Tim White. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.